All right, welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. So, good morning, good morning, welcome. Um, Kabbalah Cafe is all about looking at the deeper side of Torah and the deeper side of life. And so, um, I feel like speaking just for a moment about the energy of this month, which is the month of Elul. The month of Elul is, in the number, in the months of the year, it is number 12. It could also be number 13, conceptually, if there's a leap year and there's an extra month. By the way, in the secular calendar, or Gregorian calendar, as it were, um, I don't know why I went Gregorian, I don't know why that deserves a flourish, but nonetheless, in the Gregorian calendar, as it were, so there, when you have a leap year, you get one day. I think I'm right. Am I right here? Like February gets added like another day. Because there are 364 and a quarter solar days to the year. Solish days? Yeah. yeah. However, however, I would say like this. Not I would say. However, when it comes to Jewish leap years, yeah, we give you a whole month. That's it. Take a month. We got a month. Jews like a bargain. Jews like a bargain. Yeah. If I'm getting, yeah. If you want to give me a thing, I'm going to negotiate to get a full, a full month. So the month of Elul is the last month of the calendar year, and it's a time. Um, it's a time of Cheshbon Hanefesh, which means. It's time to take stock of our, of our inner life, of our inner dynamic, like what's going on inside. Um, I read yesterday, again, I like to try to read it every year or so, where the previous Rebbe writes about Elul and Lubavitch. You might have heard the word Lubavitch, like Chabad Lubavitch. What's Chabad Lubavitch? This is, by the way, just parenthetical. What's Chabad Lubavitch? Is it Chabad or Lubavitch? Pick a lane. Well, here's, here's what's going on. Chabad is the philosophy Right? It's Chabad philosophy. That's like the, the ideology called Chabad. Chachamavina Das, right? Labavitch is the name of a city back in, back in the old country where Chabad was headquartered for a long time, where it really kind of came together. So the movement was called either Labavitch based on the city or Chabad based on the, on the philosophy. Um, why am I saying that? Oh, because the previous Rebbe uh, writes about. Elul, this month in Lubavitch, he says when Elul would, would arrive, the air, the air felt different. The, 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 the air felt, it was still summer, it was still like, you know, kind of end of summer, but it just felt different. People walked a little faster. People davened a little harder. People studied a little longer. Like everything was a little bit more stepped up. Everyone stepped up their game a little bit more in preparation for the high holidays. Today is the third day of Elul, which means 27 days to the new year, which is kind of cool. Um, so 27 days. I think Rosh Hashanah, first day of Rosh Hashanah is a Shabbos. Right. Correct. So Friday it's four night. weeks. Yeah, four weeks from yesterday, I guess, no, from Friday night, from Friday night. From Friday night. Yeah. Um, so it's approaching. I only mentioned that in the context of, you know, getting into the spirit, getting into the energy. So today I want to speak about a topic that I think many of us um, struggle with, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but yeah, I guess we'll stick with that word, struggle. And it's the idea of, um, of the, in Hebrew it's called machshava zaros, in English, zarot, how would you translate it in, in English? Foreign thoughts. Foreign thoughts, what's foreign thoughts? It means anything that is distracting you from where you want your mind to be. So if you want your head to be in a certain space and there's something else that's pulling your head in a different direction, we call that Machshavazaras or Machshavazarot, foreign thoughts. And the question is, how do we how do we battle that? The Alter Rebbe in Tanya, in the in his book called Tanya, which is the Bible of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, so he 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 
It's interesting. Uh, I'll just take a step back. The book of Tanya. Hey, Norm. Good morning. Good to see you. So the book of Tanya, he says, he, he said, he, he writes in his introduction to the book, I didn't want to write a book. And he writes all the reasons why books are no good. Books are no good because who are you writing it for? Do you know exactly who's going to pick it up? How do you know your readership? Right, number one. Number two, books can be, the written word can be misconstrued. Right, you write something and you have one intention and the reader reads it and they have a completely different conception of what you meant and they can completely, you know, they can run with it and it's not at all what you meant. Okay. Like texting. Like, like texting, right. Right, because you, you can't control, you know, when you're speaking to somebody face to face, you can hope to control the message and how it's received. But when you're writing and someone's reading what you wrote, you're, you're out of the picture. You can't defend yourself. You can't explain. You can't, there's no nuance. I mean, you can try, but um, he said also, he says also, you people read something and they forget it soon after. It doesn't have the same impact as, you know, a personal conversation. So his, his intention was never to write a book. The book of Tanya, like the, the book of Chabad philosophy. He said, I never intended to write it, but I had to. Why, why did he have to? His agent pressured him to. No, he was building his brand and part of that is a book. Joking. The reason that he says he has to write it is because he had he, you know, people would come to him for spiritual advice and counsel. He says, "There's so many people that I can no longer meet with everybody and have these type of one-on-ones where I can help guide and instruct and mentor spiritually, etc." And plus, people end up even when it comes to these verbal conversations, you know, the, or these meeting in-person meetings, people end up um, forgetting what I tell them. And then they come back to me again with the same question, right? And so he says, at this point, I have no choice but to write a book. So I'm writing this for the people that I know and people that know me to, as a collection of guidance that I've given in the past and that I would give in the future. This is a collection of guidance that can then be read despite the challenges and the, and, and the da- not dangers, but the challenges of writing a book. I'm writing it and, and hopefully it'll, it'll hit the mark. That's, what he, that's how he kind of um, sets up the book of Tanya. So, right, exactly, right. So, oh, and then he also writes, by the way, he says, um, since there's value in having a conversation, whenever somebody studies Tanya, certainly when they start studying Tanya, they should not do it on their own reading from the book because the whole point is you might miss out when you're reading from the book, but you have to study with someone else who knows it, who studied it from someone else. In other words, it, has to, it should be like a verbal, interactive you know, experience and, you know, where, where, you're, where you're learning with someone else and together, either a group or pro- whatever it is, but it should be learned in that type of setting to ensure the accuracy and that the message is being delivered. Okay, when you, when you read the book of Tanya, it, you can read it different ways. You can read it as like a, as a book. You can read it as a as 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 a as a as a very elaborate, you know, um, almost like a narrative, taking you from understanding what's going on inside to the struggles, to how to deal with the struggles, and then how to reach a space of love and fear of God, as he concludes the book with. So, kind of taking you on this journey. But you can also read it kind of as not transcripts, but transcripts or, or writings about things that he would have met with somebody about who was coming to um, you know, unload what was bothering them in their soul. And so he addresses some of the, many of these uh, really deep spiritual issues. And one of them that he addresses very strongly throughout the book is the idea where a person feels like they're not um, advancing in their spiritual um, life. They're, they're, they feel that they're stuck spiritually. 
they, they made advancements, they, they climbed in their connection and their um, awareness of, of, of Yiddishkeit, and, and, and they, they, they feel like they've advanced, but at this point, it's kind of, kind of stagnant. And I think we can all relate to that, right? I think we can all relate to the advancements that we've made, this big steps that we've taken, but then also at a certain point, it kind of feels like we're maybe moving, yeah, we plateaued, that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking, plateaued, maybe just moving laterally as opposed to moving up or, or deeper. Was that? Oh, going back, bouncing back. Yes, yes, yes. Backsliding is is also a, um, a very real concern. I, Rabbi New said this var, beautiful idea recently. I don't remember where. Maybe you guys also heard it, but I'll just repeat it because I thought it was a really a really um, great way of, of, of putting this. It says for the altar for the mizbeach, the Torah says that in the in the you know temple altar, uh, you had to, so it was a higher platform and the the priest had to get up there. You could not build it with steps. You could not build steps up. And you had to build a ramp. Um, so the question is, why why is a ramp better than steps? Like, I mean, yeah, God said so, and there's a re- technical reason, but what, what's the deeper reason? So the explanation that he gave was that when you put a ball on a ramp, it will it will not stay in the same place. If you put it on a step, it could stay in the same place, right? Who hasn't had the experience of trying to put a slinky down? Right, because you've seen the commercials or you've heard the legend, and you put the slinky, and it goes like one step, and then it stops. And you're like, I'm pretty sure there's a refund coming my way. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, probably carpet. <laughs> That's all right. I'm trying to now rethink my whole childhood. <laughs> we definitely had carpeting. That was the problem. All right, but if you put uh, if you put something on a step, it doesn't go anywhere. It could fall down if you get enough, you know, inertia or enough. Um, Pressure, it can, it can go down, tumble down the stairs. But, I mean, otherwise things can just stay you know, steady on a stair. So the point is, life is not like stairs. Life is like a ramp. When you're trying to get up to God's altar, as it were, getting up to, you know, growing spiritually, we have to know either we're going up or rubber banding or we're going down. So at some point we find ourselves, we might find ourselves questioning our own progress. Like, am I real? Am I legit? Am I sincere? Am I authentic? Right? Or am I a fraud? You know, there's um, there's a psychological. <laughs> I won't tell you. I told you today's class is called mind control. Oh. I'm now like connecting to your brain. So I think also that's you know there's a psychological term called imposter syndrome. You guys ever heard that imposter syndrome? Yeah. Imposter syndrome means a person thinks, believes, or questions themselves and wonders like, am I a fraud? Do I really deserve this job? Do I really deserve? Am I really? Am I really this person that I'm presenting myself? To be, or am I something else? And we might have that spiritually as well. Like, am I legit the person who is showing up to Shulan Davening and coming to study Torah and 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 speaking, you know, speaking Jewish ideas and spiritual ideas? Am I authentically that person, or am I putting on a show? And if I am, then what does that say about me? And so, the context in which the Alter Rebbe addresses this directly is when a person is davening, because I will tell you, prayer is the hardest Jewish thing to do. I think. I think. I mean, how hard is it to light a menorah? I don't know. Not that hard, right? Eat matzah, hear the shofar. These are relatively easy. To daven, to, to daven is very difficult. So a person, he addresses this. A person might think while they're davening, while they're praying, sorry, a person might be, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inundated, not really inundated. A person might be distracted by um, distracting thoughts. And a person in that moment might think to themselves, well, wait a second. Hold on. Here I am. Standing before God, you know, wrapped in my prayer shawl, perhaps, or not, 
right? And I'm standing before God and I'm holding the prayer book and I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm shuckling. You know what shuckling is? Shuckling is this. If you ever see me shuckling, by the way, I had a, there was, I was one of the early Zooms that I did. This is in 2020. Um, I gave an intro to a Yiddish course. We had a Yiddish course, professor from Emory University, Miriam Udell. By the way, she's doing another Yiddish course here in a few months. If you ever want to know how to curse someone out in Yiddish or how to kvetch in the original language, got you covered. Yiddish course. She's amazing. She's literally a Yiddish professor, author at Emory. So I, I gave the introduction. So she's not at, there. <laughs> not at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, I, I, so I gave the introduction. I don't know why I'm making this about me, but I am. And I was, I was for some reason, I was shuckling. And I, I remember in the comments on the YouTube, people were like, why is the rabbi moving around so much? I'm getting dizzy. Someone's like, fast forward to the rabbi's intro. It's, it's disorienting. I'm like, all right, fine. All right, so but the point is you're, in, you're davening and you're shuckling and you're moving and your soul, it's the vibrate. The reason why we shuckle, it's the, the vibration of the soul that's manifesting in the body. That's according to Kabbalah why we shuckle. It's like the flame that flickers. It's not, you know, there's, there's a battle. There's, it's, it's, there's movement, there's energy going on. So there's, so, so there's movement. And... And then a person is distracted by completely mundane thoughts, you know, and a person might think, you know, seriously, who, what's going on here? What kind of low life am I that I can't even concentrate for four minutes? For four minutes in the Amid and Shemona Esrei, I can't even concentrate for four minutes? What does that say about who I am, my spiritual standing? What does it say about, you know, how seriously I take this whole Judaism thing? What does it say about, you know, the study that I've done and the preparations that I've done, whether it's today or any other day? What does that say about my standing, my general standing life? And, and, and furthermore, am I wasting my time with all this stuff? Because am I really making progress? Is my davening, my prayer getting any better? Or is it pretty much the same as it always is? I'm saying a few words that I'm thinking about, many words that I'm not thinking about, etc. And that might be the inner thought process, which could be very frustrating and could lead to a person almost, God forbid, saying, well, then forget about it. Then I'm just wasting my time. And so the author of a counsels, and I, I think of it as a person who's, who's pouring out his or her soul um, to, to their spiritual mentor. And he writes about this in the book because that's, the book was about these types of meetings. And he writes that, he says, and I'm going to use a psychological term that I, I know I'm, I'm, I think, I think I'm uh, appropriating, if that's the right word. I don't think this is the, the original intent of this word or, or the meaning of this word if you look it up clinically. But the word I'm going to use is um, disassociation. The Alta Rebbe encourages us to practice what we might call disassociation. What is disassociation in this context? He says like this. Imagine you were praying. Imagine you were David. And imagine, not you, not your inner head. Imagine someone else comes over to you and starts bugging you. In middle of, in middle of the Amida. Like, that's a faux pas. Like, you don't do that. But imagine someone did Imagine someone starts saying, hey, how's it going, right? How's the prayer? Bet you can't concentrate now, nah, 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 right? Like that whole thing, imagine that. Or someone's like, oh, hey, uh, did you remember to send that email that you were supposed to send? Or, hey, did you remember to pick up uh, the milk last night? Whatever it is. Imagine it was someone else. What would you think? It's rude. It's rude. How dare you? Like, What's going on? You, you, would get a little, you would get annoyed. You would get a little bit bugged. 
But here's what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't internalize it as a me problem. You would say that's a them problem, right? You say that person is, is the problem. They need to go so that I can get back to davening. And you would kind of, you wouldn't, you wouldn't own the distraction. You would say there's a distraction happening. Let me wait it out or block it out and let me get back to what I need to do. But this is, this is very rude. And so one of the major ideas of Tanya is to work on that practice of, again, I'm, I'm using this term, I'm sure it's not accurate, you know, clinically, but this disassociation. Don't identify with that distracting voice. Recognize that it, although it is coming from inside, it is not necessarily, right? You don't have to define it as you. It is your animal soul. It is your... Um, evil inclination, perhaps, whatever. It, it's, it's, it's in you, but it doesn't have to be you, right? You don't have to own that voice. You can say that voice is something that Hashem, that God put inside of me, almost like that other guy who's, who's just trying to distract me. God put that other guy inside me to provide the same challenge, to provide the same, I don't know, test. Can I you know, block, can I recognize that as, as a voice of distraction, see it, hear it, recognize it for what it is, shut the door on, on that voice and say, voice be gone, let me get back to what I need to do without getting emotionally wrapped up into the whole, am I worthy, am I spiritual, am I a fraud, am I an imposter, is there any hope? Is there any progress, etc.? If I can somehow separate that voice, which is coming from a persona inside, and not own it as my the totality of my being, then I have a way better shot at getting back to focus prayer and focus on what I need to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Perfect. In other words, are you like kind of giving us a pass when that happens? No. Well, I'm. First of all, I'm not doing anything. I'm just repeating what the Alderev says. I'm trying to Is to to authentically. To give us a pass I think so. Feel so badly. I think that. so. I think so. But I don't think it's about not feeling bad. I think it's about being more effective in our in, in our progress. Yeah. It, well. Yeah. Literally in the concentration, but also more generally in our progress. Meaning. Meaning like this. This is not only true in prayer. This is true in any area uh, um, of our spiritual growth. The, the, if you look at Tanya as, if you kind of take a step back and look at Tanya, right, as a, as, a, um, as a roadmap. So Tanya begins with a, with, with, um, with, defi- with um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tanya begins with identifying what are the elements, what are the forces that exist within the person? You have an animal soul, you have a godly soul. The godly soul is the truth of who you are. The animal soul was put there to, to provide the foil. The abbot to my castello. I don't know, <laughs> did I get that right? Or the castello to my abbot? The who is the, the laurel to my hearty, <laughs> as it were? In other words, there's who I am, and then there's this other force that's very real, very much in me, very... But I didn't create myself. That's the big idea. I didn't do that. I didn't create an, a, an evil inclination. So you can't beat yourself up because of There's that. no point to beat myself up. In other words, why would I own, why would I own, and why would I feel guilty about the fact that I have unkosher thoughts, or forget unkosher, distracting thoughts, 
desires, temptations, etc. Why would I feel bad about that? In other words, you, in fact, you didn't put it there. I didn't put it there. Number one. Number two. Do I really believe that I'm a tzaddik that shouldn't have that stuff? Of course not. I'm a normal person, right? He says on the contrary, he says, the fact that you would feel guilty about that implies that you think that you should be a tzaddik, which means that's coming from a place of arrogance. Who are you to think that you shouldn't have these distracting <laughs> thoughts? Why shouldn't you have them? You're, you're a human being. Of course you have them. But the point is, be able to dissociate, disassociate just like you could, just like you could differentiate. You know, this is also a very important skill when it comes to grocery shopping with a toddler, right? Think about it. You know, you're grocery shopping. That's my way of indicating that we're now <laughs> pushing a shopping cart. And the kid is in the... Yeah, no, but the one with the car. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got the whole, right? Oh, cool. They're cru- yeah, yeah, they're cruising. Oh, it's fantastic. Sometimes they're, on, they're like the, in the front. You got the basket here. Sometimes they're here, and the basket's over there. Two different. So I always tell the kids. I always like, oh, oh, you can't steer so. No, you can't. That sounds like I'm berating them. But like, oh, be careful. Anyway, the point is like this. Imagine that at some somewhere in aisle four, right? Imagine somewhere in aisle four, there's a meltdown. Question is how how much do you internalize that as like a reflection on who you are, your parenting? Your identity. It's like, oh no, my kid is crying. Ah, I must be a terrible person. So you're trying to like figure out, you know, how to how to how to how to make yourself look better. It's not about you. It's about the kid. What does the kid need in this moment? What does the child need? Love, a little attention, a little. Uh, lo- I don't know. Whatever it is, you. The cookies. The cookies, nah. the cookies uh, on the shelf. Yeah, whatever it is, uh, something to play. Something a fo- no, no. What Larry was suggesting is that you have a stash of <laughs> Ali's cookies oh, okay. ready to go. <laughs> you pull them out. You're good to go. He's a rabbi. Yes, he's I am. Uh, yes. <laughs> anyway, here's the point. Here's the big idea. It, it's 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 always more effective to deal with a problem when it's not yours. When you can disassociate from it. I don't mean disassociation to a negative place to where you're not facing yourself, but disassociation to the extent that you can deal with it without being overwhelmed by dealing with it. That self-judgment of, you know, I'm a bad person and I'm a failure and I'm this and I'm that, that shame involved, all of that doesn't help us deal with the problem. So what I'm suggesting is, not what I'm suggesting, what the author Rebbe suggests and what I'd like to share as we get you know, started today is that it's very healthy to be able to um, recognize the inner, the inner voices, the inner um, threats to our spiritual you know, space, and be able to say, I hear you, you're a nudnik, <laughs> right? And I'm moving on. But if I think that I am a failure, then I have no chance. If I identify with that voice, then what chance do I have? Because I'm bad. I'm no good. If I'm no good, well, then I'm no good. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't see how if I'm davening and there are people around me, which happens all the time in the women's section, talking and stuff they like that. They don't talk on that I side, do they? No, not at all. And the men's side is super quiet all the time. <laughs> but, so I, I, it's I, also on the men's side. Don't worry. I, I don't understand how that, why I would say, Oh, I'm a failure because I'm hearing that. I, I don't... No, that's what I'm saying. You would never say that. 
You would never say that. So just like you would never... Perfect. No, you're right. So just like you would never say, I'm a failure when someone else is talking, so too we shouldn't say, I'm a failure when my inner voice is distracting me in my prayers. I should never say, oh, I, I'm no good at davening, or I'm not accomplishing anything, or, or my davening is worthless, or I shouldn't even bother because I can't get through a Shemona Esra, I can't get through an Amida, you know, a five-minute Amida without a thousand distracting thoughts. I shouldn't throw that away because of my distracting voice. My distra- Here's the point, very simply. My distracting voice is the same as someone outside bugging me. Why? Because it's not who I am. I didn't put, it, put that, that there. It's another voice. Think about, you know, maybe a visual is like the cartoons. You know, with the little, remember those um, angel, and devil. angel and the devil? So don't own it. Be able to, to, to move it out, almost outside of yourself and say, okay, here's a voice. It is, it, instead of coming this way, it's coming that way. But it's still a separate voice that I can choose to recognize and say, I understand why that's happening. That voice has its own, you know, its own reality, its own mission, its own, its own thing. But I, I, it's, I don't, I'm not owning it. I don't have to listen to it. I can move on from it. So th- giving a pass. Giving who a pass? You. Giving, no, because you're going to get back to davening. You're going to be able to get to address the, yeah. And I look at it from a Hasidic angle, being I'm standing there saying Shemona Esrei, and I'm internally distracted. I'm thinking about something. Yeah, who knows, before, right? right? When I'm finished with Shemona Esrei, it bothers me that I was distracted. So in my book, you get points for the fact that that bothered you as opposed to you just ignoring I, Yeah, it. but that's that's like guilt points. I don't know that those points count. But, but I don't know that those points count. The connection, I don't know. I you think still have the connection to the Abishtun that it bothers you. No, I, I agree the fact that you, that you, that, that, that we, that you, that we want to improve in our tefillah, want to improve in our davening. That is definitely a sign of positivity. Right, that is definitely a positive sign. However, I would say that beating ourselves up, I don't know, there's no, there's no, um, I don't think there's any utility in that. On the contrary, we can start identifying as that's who we are and that's the best we can do and then we get stuck in it as opposed to being able to, to disassociate. So really what I want to get to today is this, this idea that we are, we can be in control of our thoughts. Even when a distracting thought emerges from the subconscious, we have the ability to, to quiet that thought, almost to quarantine that thought, and to get rid of it and to move on to a different thought. Now, how do you get rid of thoughts? We'll talk about that soon. Um, but it's kind of like, remember back in the day, or maybe not back in the day, you would run like a virus scanner Remember those? <laughs> and they would like, oh, we found like threats to your computer. You guys don't do that anymore? I don't. <laughs> you shouldn't be. Should. You shouldn't be. I haven't done that. Automatic. It's in the background. Yeah, maybe. Just like know. your thoughts. Maybe. Oh, oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're talking. Hold on one second. So here's the idea. The idea is that you would like, it would identify the risk and then it would quarantine it. Right. And then it would ask you, well, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to save it? Do you want to delete it? Do you want to investigate? I don't know what, what the other options are, but repair it. There you go. Like, what do you want to do with it? And so um, Kabbalah teaches, Chassidus teaches, that we have the ability, when it comes to the inner thoughts that, that kind of pop up into our consciousness from our subconscious, because there are all these things that are floating around that we're not aware of, and then there's the things that we become aware of. Um, we call this 
metacognition. Metacognition is where we're, is when we become aware of what we are thinking. Our minds are always thinking. But we're, there's always a running narrative in our heads, but we're not always thinking about what we're thinking about. Sometimes we're just thinking. Does that make sense? There's, we're just thinking and we're not aware of what we're thinking. But we might find ourselves, like one way to catch yourself in this is, if you find yourself, ever find yourself like in a good mood and you're not sure why? <laughs> you ever find yourself like, like you feel good and you're like, hmm, what do I feel good about? And you're like trying to retrace your footsteps. Like, I feel good. Because, no, not in I shouldn't feel good. Why am I feeling good? You know, that's a bummer or that's a... You're supposed to feel good. I understand that. That's yes. That's the right way. That's the good. correct. Yes, you are correct. However, <laughs> however, sometimes you'll find yourself feeling good and, and you'll be like, why am I feeling good? And then you realize, not that you shouldn't feel good, but that you're, you're trying to trace like what's, what's the cause of it. Or conversely, sometimes you find yourself not in a good mood, a little sad, a little down, whatever it is. And it also... Uh, and, and then you're thinking, why am I sad? Why am I down? What's going on? And you think about that and try to trace where that's coming from. So you have these, um, these moments where you are... And so what happens in those moments? What happens is that you're focusing your mind to think about what you've been thinking about. Right? Does that make sense? Because you've been thinking about something, but you're not really thinking about what you've been thinking about. You're just thinking. And that's been affecting your mood because the way we think affects the way we feel. And so we feel ourselves a certain way and we're like, huh, what have I been thinking about? And then, you're, then you pay attention to that thought. It's kind of like, you know, a river is flowing. A river is flowing on its own. And then at some point we focus in on it and we pay attention. Oh, here's what's going on. Maybe a good example would be sometimes you can have the TV on in the background, right? And you're not paying attention. And then... You suddenly become aware, like, oh, let me listen to what's happening. Let me watch what's going on. Let me become aware. Let me focus in on what's playing. So the TV is always on in our heads. When I say TV, what I mean the thought. Like, thoughts are always, our, brain, our mind is always processing. It's always thinking. There's no way to, Kabbalah, any way to turn it off? No, 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 no. No, we don't want to turn it off. No, the mind is always going. By the way, even when it comes to meditation, Eastern meditation is about clearing the mind. Clearing the mind. Not Jewish, not sure. No, 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 no. Well, I don't know. But Jewish meditation is not, is not about clearing the mind or trying to quiet the mind. On the contrary, it's about focusing the mind on a thing, which is a different, it's why it's called hitbonunut, which means focused thought. It's not really the same as Eastern meditation, but that's really another conversation for another time. But the point is that the mind is always going, and that's a good thing. The problem is, who's in control of those thoughts? So what, what happens is that we have, we have all these, again, the way it's explained in Tanya and Kabbalah said this, is that we have these forces inside, and the forces are kind of pushing information, pushing in the background, in the background. It's pushing. It's like when you, you know, your, the, the, your phone pushes your emails to your device. Remember back in the day, sometimes you had to pull your email to your device? Remember that? You had to like pull. hit a button, you had to pull. It's like you hit a button and then the emails arrived. But then they have the... the you know, the technology advanced, and then it just pushes the emails to your device. So even when you're not actively, you know, pulling it, it's being pushed. So our mind, our, our subconsciousness is pushing stuff to our, to our conscious mind all the time. And we have two inner forces. We have the inner force or voice of the godly soul and of the animal soul, and both are pushing. And, and oftentimes it's the animal soul and the evil inclination that's pushing stuff. And the stuff that it's pushing is not necessary. Is not usually not in our best interest. It's not healthy it's stuff. Louder too. It's louder and it's not healthy. It's not and even physical. 
Right, it's not physically healthy, it's not spiritually healthy, it's, there's no health there at all, um, but it's pushing these things in our mind. Uh, it, you know, the, the negative thoughts, sad thoughts, the self-destructive thoughts, destructive other thoughts, um, etc. And so Kabbalah teaches, and Chassidus really brings down, formulates this idea, that when it comes to these types of thoughts, the way to deal with it, or so, sorry, the first step is to recognize that we are in control, we can be in control of our thoughts. We can't necessarily, we can't actually turn off the mind, but what we can do is redirect our thoughts. We can't quarantine the negative thought and blow it up, but what we can do is redirect our thoughts. It's almost like if you have a train going down a track and you're the, I don't know, you're somebody, and you have, and you can pull the lever and the, tra- and the, um, you're the engineer. Engineer, there you go, and, and 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 it can change. Well, no, whoever's on the tracks, I guess, also oh, an engineer. Yes. No. Oh, he's the, the switch, right? You pull the thing, and then, and then switch the tra- operator. switch operator, and then and then the train can go, you know, go that either this path or this path, and you can change it. And so, in our minds, it's the same thing. We have the ability to switch, to switch where our minds are headed and what we're thinking about. It requires some. It requires a lot of practice. And the practice is really begins with, okay, what do I want to think about? It's it's about consciously being aware of and intentionally being aware of what am I thinking about and what do I want to think about, and then pushing my desire to think about something into my consciousness and then allow that to take hold. If I am allowing, um, if I'm sitting back passively and allowing whatever subconscious is is brewing, is bubbling, to come into my consciousness, the problem is that I am now a victim of, or I'm allowing myself to be the victim of that voice Right, that that in that example of that outside voice is now the inside voice, but I'm allowing that voice to come in. Whereas if I'm if I have the the the, the metacognition to, that where I'm aware of what I'm thinking, I'm not just thinking, but I'm aware of what I'm thinking. Then I can say, oh, hold on one second. Here's where my thought is now. I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. Let me move to that place. Not judge myself for the negative thought or the distracting thought because that judgment is not helpful in the process of, of switching the tracks. There's no judgment. It's just noticing, recognizing that this is a, a, an undesirable thought or not the most optimal thought in this moment, and then supplanting it or then smoothly redirecting it into switching the track into where I do want to go with my thoughts. But it requires a level of self-awareness. Again, I'm, I'm using this term, metacognition. It means not just cognition, but metacognition, it means not just awareness, but awareness of your awareness. What am I being aware of? What am I thinking about? I'm thinking all the time, but what am I thinking about? And so, number one, it requires paying attention to our thoughts. And then number two, the ability, the practice, it's all from practice, the practice to consciously, based on our own volition, our own choice, change what we are thinking about in this moment. I, I can have... I'm not speaking necessarily myself, but one could have in their repertoire 5, 10, 15, 20 thoughts to pull out in any given situation. So if I find myself in a negative, and I might notice that only based on how, I might notice that first by how I feel. I might feel a little, a little not, not in, the, in the best place, however you define that. Right? You might feel a little, a little off. And then that might be, this, the, that might be the trigger, that might be the, the, the sign Oh, hold on one second. What am I? Th- what am I thinking about? Where's my head? Because my head's just been running. But what's? Let me slow that down. And what am I? Th- what am I really thinking about? It's like slowing it down. Ah, 
okay, my head is in, a, is, is in a distracted place. Let me pull out you know, the ideas that I want to think about, the things that I find to be healthy, positive, uplifting, spiritually connective, right, purposeful, etc. I'm going to pull out those thoughts, and then, I'm going to, and then that's going to, um, to really rewire what's going on. Uh, Tony writes, sounds like martial arts. You can't control what pops out at you, but you can redirect mental judo. Exactly. Exactly. It's about mental judo. Judo is where you take the energy of the person and you kind of flip it. Is that, did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Use the energy. You use the energy. To your advantage. To your advantage. Good. Use it and then, and then you redirect it. That's the same thing over here. If you're going to try to stop the train, if if you're going to try to say, oh, let me stop my mind from thinking this, that's not going to work. You can't stop. How can you stop that? What about the opposite? Which is? You get in your car to drive from point A to point B, and you show up at point B, and you don't even remember going from A to B because you had so many other thoughts in your head. Yeah, I mean, it depends what the thoughts are. It could be fine. But do you know what I'm saying? Of it course I know what you're saying. All of us. Absolutely. Could that also happen in Davening? You find yourself at Elenu, and you're like, oh. How do I get here? Fun, funny meeting you here at the end of prayer services. Mind, welcome back. Right? Sometimes we do that. That happens. It's again, it's we're we're human. We're not Sadiqim. That's the way we are. The point is, when we find ourselves, you know, it could be a benign example. Maybe maybe that's fine, not the dominant piece. Maybe, you know, you you, you find yourself at, at work and and oh, how did I get here? What was I thinking about? I don't even remember. But now now we're getting getting the day started. And that could be fine. But the point is when we when we notice that internally we don't feel like we're in a good space, that's a good signal to check in with ourselves within our heads. Metacognition. Not cognition. That's easy. That's what I'm thinking about. Nothing to do with Facebook, though, when you say meta. No. No. Or Twitter slash X. Whatever. No. Nor the cage match. Nothing. That's why I got to ask, you know. Yeah. Just got to (laughs) clarify. So the point is that when I find myself a little bit in 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 a... not, not in a disconnected space. I check in with my thoughts. Where, what am I thinking about? And then identify, you know, where I am in my head. And I can then choose, again, on a good day, if all goes well, I can then choose what it is that I am thinking about. Make sense? Yes? Yeah. Good? Mm-hmm. Everyone agree? This is what we call mind control. What's pshat? What's, what's pshat? What does what's mind control mean? It doesn't mean controlling someone else's mind. <laughs> Come on. That's what I thought the class was for. No, <laughs> seriously. I was going to make people buy more cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. All right. You're That's good. Cookies. But maybe. Oh, it's marketing. All right, look. Here's the deal. Mind control is not about anyone else. Mind control in Kabbalah is being in control of our own minds. Step one is, there's a few steps. Step one is recognizing, disassociating. Right? I don't have to internalize that. This is who I am. This is, I'll always be this. I'm stuck. No, you're not stuck. Right. Number one, you have the you are you are the arbiter. You are the judge. You are the you have a choice in this scenario. There's some there's a voice, but you have a choice. So number one, regain control of the situation. Number one. Number two, check in with yourself. What am I thinking about? Do I like what I'm thinking about? Is this good or not good? As you as you determine, is this healthy or unhealthy for me in this moment to be thinking about this or not? Step three, if you decide, if you recognize that the thought that you're thinking is not the thought that you want to be thinking, do not, under any circumstances, attempt to stop the thought. You will fail. You cannot stop a thought. What you can do is redirect the thoughts. In other words, pop in 
pull out from your file that you have ready to go, pull out a thought, a meditation, a happy memory, whatever you... I, I, there's a letter, there's a great letter from one of the Chabad Rebbe's where he writes to somebody who was really struggling with negative thoughts. And by the way, this person had a very good reason for having negative thoughts. They had a very, uh, neg- they had a very terrible medical condition or diagnosis that they were dealing with. And they had extremely um, uh, negative thoughts, talking, like really negative thoughts. And, and, and there was a lot of struggle. And, this, and the Rebbe writes, I forget which one, um, he writes essentially to have positive thoughts in your toolbox. And he says, clearly, they don't have to be spiritual. They don't have to be Jewish thoughts. They just have to be positive. Find positive memories, experiences. I'm going to put words in his mouth. He didn't say this. I'm saying this. A sunset, a vacation, a Grand Canyon, whatever. A memory, a simcha, something positive, And have that at the ready. When you catch yourself in a negative space, Right, like thinking negative thoughts, heading down that negative path, pull out that thought. The more you practice that, the stronger you'll get with that. In other words, the more we practice um, willful, will, yeah, willful mindfulness, which is really hit bone and note, right? It's like I'm focused on a thought of my choosing. It's simply what it is. So the more we do that. The easy, I don't know if it gets easy, but... I'm going to put this the, class in my file. Well, I'm going to pull this class out. Good. Is negative or positive? Oh, right. Good. Good. No locks for you next week. <laughs> All the locks. By the way, yeah. All right. So that's, so that's the big idea. The big idea here is about mind control. And, so, and, and again, it's a, it's a few-step process. It's about recognizing that we, we could be in control because we're not, it's not the totality of who we are. So we, we can be in control of, of this external factor almost oh so the big idea here is what give me one so, so i don't think i emphasize this enough so i think all of us recognize that when it comes to behavior we're in control we don't have to do that or even speech but our thoughts sometimes we think i have no control over my thoughts i can't how can i control my thoughts they're so in it's so internal it's so ever present my head is always running how could i ever be in control and the point of today and then we're going to read inside in just a moment. The point of, of this opening is to say that you and I absolutely can be in control even of our thoughts. For sure, our speech, you don't have to say anything. You just be quiet. For sure, action, you can do or not do, or do this or do that. You, you have the choice. But even when it comes to something seemingly as, you know, om, omnipresent as our thoughts, it's like, I don't know if that's the right word. But they're always, you know, they're always flowing. They're always there. You can't shut off your mind. You feel like it's out of control, like your mind is taking you into different places. Even, even with, the, with thought, with machshava, even with thought, you and I have the absolute power to modify that. And by the way, one of my favorite ideas, if you take the Hebrew word machshava and you reorganize a few of the letters, it spells the word besimcha, joy. Being in a state of joy. Machshava besimcha shares the same Hebrew letters. What's the idea? Reorient the letters of thought. In other words, reorient your thoughts and you'll be happy. Happiness is so often driven by what is in our heads. If we can reorganize our machshava, we can reach a state of besimcha. A lot of times, happiness or the, or, or the opposite is not driven by you know, is by, not driven by external, you know, 
stop dynamics. It's about an internal way of how we look at things. Yeah. Um, so the idea that we have those two fo- two forces within us, and all that kind of stuff. So when you are trying to implement that, which is makes great sense, um, your other side kind of realizes what you're doing as well. And like when you have the thought about like you're praying and like, oh, I forgot to send that email, or I didn't go to the grocery store, it's like, I'm gonna deal with you later. It's like, I know what you're doing, you're redirecting me, but you really need to deal with that. And so it sounds great, and, and, and now there's purpose, a purpose, and- but in real life, your mind is where it's all going. It's not an outside, the outside is actually easier because once you divert away from right. that, you know it's outside of you, but this right. is an internal thing. But I the reverse hear- is true too. Good thoughts, you've got to be careful that when your mind is in the right place, that it doesn't lead to evil thoughts. True. So but, that's but a redirection. That's also a redirection. But let's let's deal with this first, because this is what you're asking, and I'm going to just re- restate what you're asking to make sure I got it. Um, what, you're, what you're asking is, well, one second, this sounds a little bit oversimplified, because if you have, let's say, a distracting thought, and then you say, ah, I'm going to redirect my thought. The distracting thought is going to say, not so fast. Or the more you redirect, the more it's going to say, but, 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 but look at me, look at my distracting thought. And now, and now you're dealing with a full on brawl in your brain. And you're, and and then you're the one, right? Then you're the one that's uh, trying to figure out. There's a, there's a, there's an old Hasidic story. You know, there were many, many, many Hasidic groups. A lot of them uh, kind of developed. So there was the Baal Shem Tov the founder of the movement, and then the Magadim is rich. Then he had a number of students, each of which started their own Hasidic movement, really. One of them was the author of the founder of Chabad, uh, but there were many others. And so, and then they branched and forked, and that's why there's so many different Hasidic groups. Uh, but there were two, I don't remember which two. One of them famously daven really fast, and one of them daven really slow. And there was once a chassid, you know, a student of the school of thought of the slow daveners who went to the student, went to, uh, you know, someone who was of the fast davener, you know, movement. And so why do you guys daven so fast? It's like they were like blitzing through the prayers. Like, why, why so fast? He said, because imagine you're on a train and you have, um, you know, robbers trying to get onto the train, trying to hijack the train. You gotta move really fast. You gotta gun it to get away from that. So when we start davening, you know, the, the next thing you know, you have hijackers and are, you know trying to infiltrate. So you gotta you gotta move and, and get to the end before they catch up. The other the other chassid said, "That's exactly why we daven slow. You know why? Because what happens if the robbers already got onto the train? <laughs> then you have to stop the train." duke it out, get rid of them, and, and then do it again, and then, and then keep on going. So it's davening, from that perspective, is a slower process where you're dealing with the problem, getting, you know, clearing that out, progressing. Dealing with it again, progressing. So it's kind of a start, stop, and a slower process. Um, and then came the train schedule. <laughs> right, and then came the automobile. <laughs> and, and now what? Well, now we don't even know. 635, you know, you got to be done. <laughs> right, yeah, ex- oh, exactly. So there are different schools of thought, like how to deal with it. So you're right, you're, you're saying that could, it could end up where there's now an internal brawl. You might, that, the second school of thought would say, wait it out. In other words, deal with that. How long is that going to go on for? All right, it's going to go on for what? I don't know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. I don't know, hopefully not longer. 
you deal with it, you clear some space. When I say clear some space, you know, kind of move out the negativity, kind of try to recenter, and keep on going. You might not get through, you know, the whole the whole Amidah, you're not gonna get through the whole Shema Esrei, you know, maybe in, in, in the same time as you would ordinarily without doing that. But again, there's two ways to do it. Either you try to gun it, pedal to the metal, and try to get, you know, get through it before it gets too distracting, or you deal with it slowly. Maybe during the week we have to go fast, and we're not always going to get this perfectly right. But these are some techniques that are helpful. Shabbat is a good time to dive in a little bit more slowly and to be able to, you know, to work on this, you know, work on this, on this battle. But I think the more that we practice this type of approach, which is you know, to, to feel it, to recognize it, to, you know, to identify what it is, to then, you know, pull out the thoughts that we want to have and then kind of, you know, redirect. I think the more we practice that, the, the, the better we get at it. We're not going to get perfect, and we're certainly not going to stop those thoughts from, from, from popping into our mind. That we're never going to stop. It will always, there will always be distracting thoughts. That's what the Altar says. Like, don't, don't think that I should reach a place, you know, after a certain number of years where, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have this challenge anymore. You, that's, that's not going away. But the key here is to have, the, um, to have the tools to be able to get past that and to get back to a better place. And then maybe it's going to happen again. Maybe. It's for sure going to happen again. Um, I, it's, it's so interesting. I was at a Fabrengan Thursday night. You know, we have this uh, yeshiva for the, for the local, local teenagers, um, like 14 to 19 years old. And um, these are kids that are usually away in yeshiva. But now they're back home for a few weeks in the summer. So instead of, you know, not having a structure or, a, you know, a, a seder, like a organized, any organized learning. So we're providing them for a half a day, 8 a.m. To, to 1 p.m., providing an opportunity for them to, uh, to study some Torah. And um, I thought it was, so Thursday night we had a little fabrengen at Rabbi Jacobson's house. And he was... He was um, recalling some stories of one of his teachers in yeshiva, whose name was Rabbi Akiva Wagner. Rabbi Akiva Wagner was the head of the yeshiva in Toronto. I say was because a few months ago he passed away. Young. He was a young guy. Passed away from cancer. And tragic. He was sick for, for a number of years. And um, he was so beloved by the students. He was really like, like on a different level. Like this guy was like the real deal. But Rabbi Jay, I, I never studied in that yeshiva. I never really interacted with him personally. I, knew, I heard the legend, but I never. Rabbi Jacob said that you would see him on Shabbos. And he was, his davening, you could tell there was a struggle going on. Like you could see he, there, was, there was energy. It was, it was, there was movement happening. It wasn't just he davened. It's not that she davened for a long time and, you know, said every word out loud and, you know, with even a chassidic tune. But there was a, you could, you could see, you could sense the struggle, you could sense the battle. And I thought, I thought that was very beautiful, you know, to hear that recollection. All right, so what I want to do now for the next few minutes is go inside. We have to dust these off. Finally, right? It's been a while. Now with all of the last month of introductions, we can finally, finally jump into our text. I'm going to put this up on the screen as well for everybody. Um, here you go. This is yours. 
Thank you. Please take, maybe I gave you two, but oh, yeah. it's okay also. This is sick. Yeah, well. Oh, you autograph? There's extra, yes. The last prayer of the Shmon doesn't it say something about your thoughts? Um, yeah. Yeah, there's something about thoughts. Something like that, yeah. There's, there's definitely a reference. There's definitely a reference. Okay, I'm going to pull this up on the, uh, the thing here. We are up to chapter, chapter, chapter 3 on page 28. We're going to read a little bit. We're going to cover some ground today because a lot of this stuff we have talked about outside. But let's read it inside. It's really beautiful. Again, the main theme that I wanted to um, convey today is, is how to deal with thoughts. Believe in ourselves that we have the ability to deal with it, not to judge ourselves by our thoughts, but to view them as, you know, create a bit of a, of a distinction between ourselves and our thoughts, and that way have, be empowered to become aware, to, to deal with it effectively, and to move forward in our spiritual, um, in our spiritual uh, um, activities. Okay, so with this in mind, let's jump into chapter number three. All right, here we go. Tzaddikim and Bainanim. And Tzaddikim are people that don't struggle. Bainanim are everybody else. In other words, all of us. Sorry, unless you're a Tzaddik. In which case, keep on keeping on. Well, yeah, but... Russia's still a Bainanim. Yeah, Russia's a potential Bainanim. Basically, Russia's when you slip, but Bainanim is... Is where you're, where where we're striving, where we're striving to be, Benedict. Right? Yes. Well, yeah. Behavioral tzaddik, psychological Russia. So that's that's where the Benedict. That's why he's in the middle because he's got on behavioral level he's like the tzaddik, but internally he's like the Russia. It looks the same on the inside. So he says, chapter three. The Torah is eternal and applicable to everyone. Which, by the way, we spoke about that a few weeks ago. The eternality, the eternality of Torah, and how you know every part of Torah has a physical side, but also a spiritual side. And the spiritual side is that part of Torah that is absolutely um, uh, ever-present and eternal. It follows then back inside, it follows then, that the fact that the Torah also tells of the sending of Moses' spies to scout out the entire land is an eternal lesson to every Jew, even one who is not in the level of Moses. As the Torah tells us about how Moses sent out spies and how um, those spies actually failed in their mission, but he sent them out to scout out, scout out the entire land of Israel. So the Rebbe says in this Mimer, in this discourse, that, that that has to be, because it's in Torah, it must be a message for you and I. It's not a history book. Torah is not telling us what happened you know, 3,300 years ago. Torah is telling us about how to live our lives today. So if it's here, if it's in Torah, then it is relevant to us. And, he, and, and here's, how he, here's how he frames it. We can understand this by introducing a concept discussed in Tanya regarding tzaddikim and bainanim. Tzaddikim are perfect inside and out. Bainanim are imperfect inside, working on perfection on the outside. The divine service of the bainanim involves primarily the garments of the soul, thought, speech, and deed. That is why, by the way, just this is me speaking, that's why I focused today's discussion on thought. Because a bainanim, is working on themselves to be able to recognize what is healthy, what is unhealthy, to, re- to recognize the unhealthy thoughts, words, and actions um, as they are unhealthy, and then to deal with them, to address them. I think, again, my, my understanding, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's filtered through my own experience, is that action 
is conceptually at least the easiest because just, not just, but don't do the wrong thing. That could be, you know, just don't, don't, just, remember that campaign? Just say no. Like, just don't, don't do it. Or, and I'm not oversimplifying, but, but that's, speech is also, just don't say it. Don't say the not nice thing. Thought is a little bit more difficult. But the Bainani works on that as well. The Bainani is aware of the, the power of thought and aware of the need to be metacognitive and aware of what he or she is thinking and then to address it, as we said today, up until now, in a, in a, in a, in a strategic way. I have my thoughts that I can pull out. I know what to look for within my own mood. I know what to pay attention to. I know when I'm feeling a little off that it's probably something in my head. I'm going to become aware of that, figure out what's where, where my head is at, and then and then supplant it with something positive. Maybe I have to pull something out and study it and read it or watch it or listen to it, music, dance, whatever it is, to get myself back in a better space. That's a Baini. Baini is working on themselves in thought, speech, and deed. Let's continue. Thus, the rank of Baini is a rank, is the rank attainable by every man. Interesting, right? So, so just to point out what he says over here is that the Baini is attainable by every person, right? So Arlene, to your point. Not that everyone is a Bainani, which you said correctly, but everyone is, at least potentially, on that path toward Bainani status, which means that they're, they're in that space. They're in the, the movement. Bainani is attainable for everybody, which means that not, it doesn't matter what's going on inside. It doesn't matter what's popping in your head or what you want to do or what you want to say or what you want to think about. None of that is relevant. What's, what's relevant is, are you in control of when rubber meets the road, in action, in speech, in thought, can you take the reins in that moment? Can you, in mind, can you redirect, etc.? That's where it comes um, into play. Let's continue. For e, and he explains it here. For even when a person's heart craves and desires some material pleasure, he's capable, the baby is capable of restraining himself or herself and controlling the drive of his heart's lust by not allowing it to find expression in deed, speech, or thought which he explains thought in the parentheses. What does that mean to not find expression? It doesn't mean that it's not going to pop into your brain. It means, i.e., not to willingly think about his desire, which means that when it comes to your mind, you're able to, what do we say, mental judo, you're able to move it away, or Kabbalistic judo, and, and, and think about something else. To the extent of being able to divert his mind from it entirely. That is the holy grail, to mix metaphors, that is the holy grail of mind control. The Holy Grail of the mind control is not to stop a thought from coming in. That's unattainable. The Holy Grail, the, the, the goal of mind control is diversion, is to have the ability to divert the mind to some other direction. Now that's a banani. Let's continue inside. The service of tzaddikim, on the other hand, perfectly righteous individuals, primarily involves the emotions of the heart, love, and fear of God. That person doesn't struggle with behavior or speech or thought. That person is just just in that space of love and fear of God. And not every, let's continue on the uh, page 30, not every person merits this level of service. In fact, most people do not. For man does not have that much jurisdiction over matters governed by the heart. So to say that our hearts should be, that we should be in control of our hearts, that means to be in control, not of how we feel, but be in control of, of, our, of our subconscious desires, good luck. Be in control of like the, the, the deep stuff on the inside, Wow, that's very ambitious, and that's probably not attainable for every person. Nevertheless, listen to this. An oath is administered to every Jew, exhorting him 
be at tzaddik, meaning that every person must, to some extent, attempt to involve himself also in the mode of service of tzaddikim, as explained at length in Tanya. So, as we conclude chapter three, what he says over here is powerful, and that is that even though what is most immediately within every person's control is to be in control of your actions, of your words, of your thoughts, and we spoke at length about thought today. So, even though that's the arena that you and I could be most effective in, we also have an oath. We, we quoted this a few weeks ago. We, we actually read from the Talmud. The Talmud says, before the soul is paired, well, it's already paired, it's already designated, but before it actually goes into the body and before birth, the soul is given an oath. And the oath and the soul is, the, the, the angels tell the soul, you have to promise, be a tzaddik. Be a tzaddik. Tzaddik? I should be a tzaddik. How am I going to be a tzaddik? The point is that after we've worked on or, or in concert with working on our action, our words, and our thoughts, we also should work on cultivating our, the, the inner, our, our, inner, our inner landscape as well. And that means to try to cultivate a little bit more love of God, a little more fear of God. When we say fear of God, it's not in a negative way like be afraid, but it's more of being in awe of Hashem, and, and being in a, in a sense, uh, having a sense of reverence. The point here, though, is that the, the work that we do on the outside does not take away from the work that we need to do on the inside. There's the outer work, and then there's the inner work. The outer work is thought, speech, and action. Even though thought seems like inside, it's really the outside of, of the inside. But then there's the inside of the inside, the subconscious. And he's saying here that even though you and I are likely not going to ever reach the status of a tzaddik, but we still have to try to be tzaddik-esque. And just to reiterate what we've said a few weeks ago, it means in very simple terms, there are certain things, that you, certain things, let's say Jewishly, that you love. Here's the question. Like certain mitzvahs that you love doing. Here's the question. Can you take one more mitzvah that right now you do, but maybe you don't love? You do it. But do you love it? I don't know and move that to the place of love, right? Can you take one more good deed that you do, one more area, arena of, 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 of connection, and make that into a love, make that into something that you really feel passionately about? Conversely, can you take an area in which you've struggled with and make it to the point where you no longer want that anymore? Like an area that we should stay away from, no longer want that anymore. This is where we become a tzaddik. We take steps kind of in the space of a tzaddik. No, we're not wholesale loving good th- all good things and hating all bad things. We're not like a tzaddik that has no desire in any other space. The question is really, can we move it one more? Can we move the needle one more degree? Can we find one more area, one more mitzvah, one more Jewish observance that we fall in love with? Can we fall out of love with one area that we shouldn't really be in love with? That's the question. And, and the message from today's, today's lesson is, hey guys, hey Alex, so good to see you. Hey. So the message of today's lesson is, that's a treat. The message of today's lesson is that we have the ability to not only be in control of our, of our action, of our speech, or even our thoughts, which we spent most of the discussion on, but we also, you and I also have the ability and the calling, moreover the calling, to, 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 
to move the needle a drop, to love one more Jewish thing, right? It's the month of Elul. We have, a, we have I'm just giving an example, like one, a suggestion maybe. We have the, um, there's an old Hasidic um, custom in this month uh, to say three extra chapters of Psalms every day. Three extra chapters of Psalms. It's, it, it, it's, you know, it's fairly short. Yeah, from the first day of Elul, you do one, two, three. The second day of Elul, four, five, six. Today would be, because the third day of Elul, seven, eight, nine. It's, it, the way I do it is you just take the, the, day of, the day of the month, multiply by three, and that's your last, right? So the 10th day would be 30, 29, and 28. That's how my head works with the math. Anyway, the point is, say, so let's say that that's, you know, that's a good custom. Um, you know, it, which it is, right? That's a good custom because it starts uh, beginning of El and it, you finish it at after Ni'ila. Yeah, after Ni'ila, after the shofar blowing at Ni'ila and Yom Kippur, then you do, do the last nine. And it's kind of a, it's, you feel like kind of part of this, you know, this, this magical experience, this continuum from, from the, the beginning of this month all the way through the end of the Yom Kippur service. You feel like you've, you've been working towards something, working toward a goal. And it's only three chapters a day. When I say only, it's, it's like a page and a half. It's really not that much of, it's not that much of a time investment. Well, but some of them are four pages. Yeah, all right, yeah, no, true. No, fair, fair. Some are longer, some are shorter. But, you know, it takes, you know, you read it, whatever language you're familiar with, you can read it in English. It takes, I don't know. Five minutes it shouldn't take longer than five minutes, less. So you know that's that's a that's a that's a beautiful observance. It's a it's a chassid custom, and it really it really makes the, the the high holiday season come alive. So here's the question: the question is, can we fall in love with that? Can we appreciate that? Not just do it because we have to do it. Not just you know coerce ourselves to do it, right? Like uh, white knuckling it, like I'm going to do it, but like to do it like a tzaddik would do it. Do it with passion. Do it with love. Right? It could be interpersonal relationships. You know, can I speak to my family members more lovingly? Not because I should, but because I want to. So falling in love with something that we that you know positive. And at the same time, falling out of love with something that we shouldn't do, and whatever, whatever that is for you, that is for you. So that's that's the that's the message of today's class is be it sadik. Be it sadik. We're not gonna be wholesale sadik, not not all across the board, but in one area. One area, one small, one small step. When they landed on the moon, what was the phrase? One small step for man, for man and one giant step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And by the way, he f- he f- uh, um, seven eight nine. You have an app? No. I have a great app. It's, it's, it's Hebrew only, but there's I'm sure there's a lot of great apps. So, huh? I have so I have the Sidder app. Well, I have also an Android phone. I don't have um, an, uh, an Apple. I have a Siddur, I have the Chabad Siddur and the Chabad Tehillim. I have the Chabad Siddur, but it doesn't have Tehillim in it. I have an app called Tehillat Hashem, which is the Chabad Siddur, and Tehillim, which is Tehillim. So you I can show you what it looks like. Do you have a different app than that one? Yeah. I think this is only Android. Anybody have Android here? Oh. Yeah. You have one that tracks the right Tehillim that you need to say between Elul and... This one, so the, let me see. So Tehillim tehill, um, for three L, three chapters of L. It's got it's got a tab. It takes which you right there. Which one? No, no, no. On my Tehillim app. I'll show I'll show it to you right after the class. You'll see. No, 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 no. This one just says Tehillim. But this is this is yours is just in Hebrew, right? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> right. Good point. Yes. Um, okay. After the class, we'll do some show and tell. You can take a look at that. All right. So um, in conclusion, yes. When you start out doing something, 
maybe you start out because you have to. Right. Maybe eventually. Appreciate it's it. Gradual and sure. Appreciate it and it becomes natural. Yeah, and I think that's powerful because, you know, it says in the Talmud, a person should always do something for maybe ulterior motives, and eventually they'll do it, and eventually you'll do it for, um, for the right reason, which means that even if at first you're doing it because you have to, because your mother told you to, whatever it is, right, for all, all sorts of reasons, eventually, we, hopefully we grow into it and appreciate it. Um, all right, so here is... All right, there's a few questions in the chat that I want to address soon, but we'll formally close it out and then we'll address the questions. Um, so in conclusion, as I started today's class, let's feel the energy of Elul and be uh, inspired internally to, number one, be in control of our thoughts or you know, to, to exercise all the steps of metacognition and then control that we spoke about before, and then also to work on ourselves on the inside, to love the things that ought to be loved, or at least one more thing that ought to be loved in a positive way, and to not love the things that should not be loved, and to, to move into that space. And with this, we are honoring the energy of Elul and really bring it into our lives, because the energy is there. In Labavitch, you could feel it. In Atlanta, we can recreate it. Each one of, or each one of us on our own, taking the steps that we need to take, and, and making advancements. All right, thank you for joining me this morning for Kabbalah Cafe. It is great to see you all. And our online crew, it's great to see you guys. Um, a few quick announcements. So tomorrow night we have a thoroughly inspiring event. It's called the Honey Girl of Auschwitz, and it features a Holocaust survivor who is flying in today from Arizona. She lives in, um, what city does she live in? She lives in? Prescott. Prescott. She lives in Prescott, Arizona, and she's coming in with her daughter. She's 95. And she's coming with her daughter. Are you picking and up? I, yes. What time? Um, I'm not sure. I have to check the flight ticket. Because I'm going to the airport from here at 2.45, dropping mm -hmm. off at, into, at the airport. Really? Yes. All right. So if it's I'll let you know the time. 3.15. I'll let you know about timing. Thank you for, uh, for mentioning that. All right. So, she, so she's coming in today. Um, and then she will be speaking tomorrow night. The talk begins, the program begins at 7.30. Doors open at 7. It's taking place right here in the synagogue, join us, spread the word. Um, I, I've been inviting, I reached out to the high school at AJ, AJ High School, I reached out to, um, to C-Teen here locally um, to spread the word for teens because I feel like um, the opportunities that they have, the younger people have to hear directly from a survivor who, you know, with, with recollection of, you know, what happened, personal experience, that opportunity is certainly very precious and even more precious as the years go on. And, um, you know, we have, uh, please God, we're going to have a nice representation. And looking forward to, uh, hopefully you guys can make it. And I know many of you already signed up. So please join us tomorrow night at 7.30 for that experience. Also, this Shabbat coming up is Shabbat out of Africa, where we have a chazan, a cantor, coming in uh, to entertain us and to sing and to add to the, to the service. Um, my brother-in-law, yes, yes. I'm, I'm biased. He's the best cousin ever. He also sings opera. He's a performer. He's, he's incredible. He's a lot of fun. By the way, he's not, all, he's not like one of those stuffy cousin. And we're like, mm. he's, Does he have fancy glasses like the last cousin we had here? 
Uh, no, no, not <laughs> no that fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. No, no. Um, but he'll be here. Is he a better Yeah, he's like Yeah, he's he's um, he's he's legit. Um, not that like I was, but he's he's been he's been you know he, the, the biggest synagogue in South Africa or one of the biggest ones. He was chazan there for 15 years. Um, he is quite uh, quite the uh, quite the performer, and we have a beautiful Friday night dinner with South African themed cuisine. That's going to happen Friday night, so please join us for that as well. And throughout Shabbat, there's going to be a lot of fun and learning, and uh, and connection. So a lot of stuff going on this week. Tomorrow night is not Zoom. Yeah, we're going to record it, but it's not. Uh, I like my grandkids. But yeah. Gonna... All right. Well, ask for the. Yes. Hi, Ray. Don't, don't pay at the door. I, I don't yeah. do well. I, Ray, I, I, I feel like you're already RSVP'd. I think you're already well, I in. I tried to. I, I, think, I, think you, I think you're in. I think you did for three. I think we have you. Okay. I, I remember seeing that. I could be wrong, but I recall. Um, you know what? Let me check quickly. Um, let's see what we got. All right. Thanks all for coming out. We'll see you guys. Have a wonderful day. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Great to see you. Great to see you. Great to see Alex. By the way, Rosh Chodesh, we just had Rosh Chodesh El a few days ago. Yeah. I was Yom thinking about Yom Tzedakah. I was thinking about you. King is in the field. Energy, giving, generosity, yeah. love. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Yom Tzedakah. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, okay, Ray, here's what I have for you. I have, yeah, Ray, I have you in for three. I got you. You're in. You got tickets. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. You'll get an email yeah. today uh, um, with all the details about tomorrow night. Wonderful. So you are good. You're golden. <laughs> um, all right. Great to see everybody. Matt. Rabbi. Oh, yeah. I saw your question. So here we go. How do we? You can, yeah. um, that's a probably a deep question. We can think about it um, answer that later. But also question about Tanya. Yes. Um, is this something where... Can we do a study session? I don't know if we have time, or is there another way for me to do like a yeah. virtual? Yeah. So here, so here are two options for Tanya. So number one, um, I am planning on starting a Tanya class. Oh, we we used to have a Tanya class to restart it after January. So in other words, after the other New Year, to, to start a, to start a Tanya series. That's number one. Number two um, is if you want, if you don't want to wait then you can go to, I would Google Chabad.org and then put in the word Tanya. And they have a special um, a section on the website that's all about the study of Tanya, which includes videos and audio and essays. It's really robust and you can choose it by the chapter, I think. Like you can go chapter one and then see all the resources in chapter one. But there's there's a lot, I haven't checked like re, that super recently, but there's, I don't know, at least a half a dozen different classes that you can watch or listen to, maybe even a dozen of like really gifted, um, you know, presenters and teachers that uh, on, on Tanya. So, you know, you can definitely get started right away. I found it on the website. Yeah. And there might even be, I don't know if Chabad.org has this. Um, I know they have, they might even have an app where you can just watch it on your phone. Um, or maybe you just have to go to the website on your, on your phone. They might have an app. I'm not sure. If Chabad has a Tanya, you know, a, a self-contained Tanya app. 
but definitely there's a lot of resources. And um, I, I, what, I, what I would suggest is, um, you know, listen to a few of them and see which style you like, because everyone teaches it in a different style, and then, and then jump in. Yeah, but it's okay. it's hard it's hard to learn on it's it's hard to learn on, on your own like any for anybody it's it's the Tanya is like a bit of a denser uh, book so. And for the question I asked, we can talk about it offline. So I know that could be a very long discussion. Yeah. 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 This thought came to me. I, I think it's very healthy. I think it's very healthy to be able to to know that this is your thought, but not you. I think that is. That is very healthy. Like we, the way we, we talk about behavior, like this is a behavior, but this is not, like when we think about someone else, someone is acting out, like that's their behavior that we don't say that that's them. They are a bad person, but that the behavior needs to be corrected. And that, that disassociation is very healthy in dealing with others, but also dealing with ourselves. And I think in this way, I think it's the hardest is thought because it's the most... It's most in our head, and we feel like, well, that's who I am, right? If I'm thinking about it, that's literally who I am, and the answer is not exact. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to look at it that way. But, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll think about that. And we'll, yes, Dr. Maxi. So um, what was the name of the Tehillim app again? So I here's the Chabad.org daily study app, but the Tehillim that it brings up for today is chapters 18 to 22. Yes. So here you see this is what it looks like, Tehillim. Um, but that's all. But it's all in Hebrew. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That what you're seeing is correct because every day of the month there's also a series of chapters of Tehillim of Psalms um, that you would that you would recite for that day. So, so but, this would be like corresponding to the, the Gregorian calendar. Well, no, no, no. It's all. It's all the no. It would, it would all be the Jewish calendar. But oh, okay. there's there's a division of chapters. Um, for the days of the month. But this is, on top of that, there's also three a day for the high holiday season that we only add this time Sorry. of year. Okay. Okay. So now you would do the 18 through 22, or whatever it is, as part of day three of L. But as day three of L, you would also do seven, eight, and nine. Um, so this app that I have, I'll show you what it looks like when I open it up. So if you can see that, it's got... Okay, so uh, I can't see that. So the middle bar is Tehillim for three Elul, and then two gotcha. bars down is three chapters for Elul. So those are really two different things. Got you it. have the, the the standard monthly, you know, the, the day it. of the okay. month, okay. and then you have, and if you look over here, yeah, it's 18. But um, you can, yeah, you could just do the math if you want to just do it that way. It's easy. Just do yeah, the math. Okay. Just multiply right. by three and then work backwards. All right. Good to see you. Ray, you. great to see you. Larry, Ellen, Matt. Dr. Maxi, great to see you guys. Shavua Tov. See you soon. Shavua Tov. Take care. Hey. Well, I have a question. Sure. I grew up 